Discipleship, session nine, discipleship. Why discipleship? Um, you have three kinds of relationships in your life, and that's all. You only have three kinds of relationships. Every person does. As a Christian, you have a relationship with God, you to God. You have a relationship with other Christians, which is what we're about to talk about, discipleship. And you have a relationship with unbelievers. Those are the three kinds of relationships you have in the, in the universe, with God, with other believers, and with non-believers. We're going to talk about discipleship, though, our relationship with other believers. So in, into, into what are we saved? Some, someone uh, um, is converted, they confess Christ, they bow the knee, they repent of their sins, and now what? Uh, what are they saved into? Hmm? Yeah. We are, we are not saved into isolation. We are saved into the body of Christ. And there are a, a lot of implications that come with that. Um, where did I get this definition? I got this definition of discipleship from whoever wrote the Nine Marks book on discipleship, who I'm having a hard time remembering who wrote that one, so it doesn't matter. Hmm? Um, here, 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 we just we need a working definition of discipleship, and I thought this was good, because when when we are saved, we are saved into a life of discipleship, becoming a better disciple or follower of Jesus. It's we are not just the event; we are saved as an event, and then life goes back to normal like it always was. No, no, of course not. We are saved into a life of becoming more like Jesus. So here's the definition of discipleship I am using, and it came, it came from the Nine Marks book on discipleship. I believe I put it on your notes. Discipleship is helping others to follow Jesus by doing deliberate spiritual good to them. Do you guys have that in your notes? Did I give you that? Helping others follow Jesus by doing deliberate spiritual good. I just like that phrase, deliberate spiritual good to them. Um, that's the definition I'll work with here. And so let's talk about that. Now, loving people doesn't start with us. It started with God. God loved us first, didn't he? And now, when we are saved, when our hearts are changed, our hearts are made soft toward the things of God, so we love God now. And if we love God, somebody, somebody fill in the blank. Hopefully you can read my mind. If we love God, we will love his people. If we love God, we will love his people. And so we want to grow as image bearers. I put Mark 1230 in my notes. I don't remember why, but I'm going to go ahead and read that now. Hopefully it's helpful. If it's not, we will ignore it and, and move on quickly. Oh, yes, of course. Duh. If we love God, we will love his people. Um, it is, it is um, a contradiction to say that you love God and yet continue on hating his people. And so we read in Mark chapter 12, 30, um, regarding the great commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second greatest commandment is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. The two go hand in hand. Uh, one, one way that we demonstrate that we love God is by loving his people, okay? 
which ties into discipleship very, very closely. Can somebody please read to me 1 John 4, verses 19 through 21. So here's the deal. Here's how this is connected to the gospel. God loved us, and that is most clearly seen in the gospel, that he sent his son to die. And one of the effects of that is that we will now, in turn, also love each other. So understand this. Let me put it this way. When you claim Christ, Christ is my Lord, I serve him. One way that you demonstrate that, that you must demonstrate that, is by expressing love toward the rest of Christ's people. Um, cannot, as Mike just read, you cannot continue hating your brother. You may not. It is not an option. If you are in Christ, you will love the people of Christ. This all ties in to our reason for discipleship. Now, um, somebody, we all, uh, most of us know Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20. Just the same, I would like us all to actually look at it because this is a big deal. Okay. When somebody says, what is the Great Commission? And you start your answer with, go make disciples, I would pause you and say, no, no, you're wrong. You need, you need to back up. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. 19 through 20 does say, give the command to go and make disciples of all nations. This is how, baptizing them, that's conversion, in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, that's their continuing life of discipleship, yes, to observe I, all I have commanded you. But I left a word out of there intentionally in verse 19. What word did I leave out? I, I, I left out the therefore. Go therefore. The therefore points back to what? What is the statement before? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given Jesus. Oh, I wish that we lived like this was true. Our primary reason for discipleship for, uh, is not only seeing converts, which we'll talk about more with outreach, but for discipleship, for helping people to grow into the image of Jesus. Our primary reason for that, our only reason for that, is because Jesus Christ has all authority everywhere over everything. This is not something that will happen someday. It is something that is a reality right now. Jesus has all authority. It was given to him upon his finished work. He has authority in this room. He has authority over all of your lives and the lives of your everyone uh, close to you who you love, your girlfriends, real or imaginary. He has authority over the government of Ethiopia. 
He has authority over the government of the United States. He has authority over the tallest tree on the highest mountain that no one has ever seen. He has authority over every crawling insect right now. Jesus has all authority. I don't have the direct quote. Some of you probably do, but Abraham Kuyper said, there, there's, there's no part of the universe that Jesus doesn't claim is his own, he does, that he doesn't look at and say, mine. It's all his. It is all his. And because it is all his, only because it is all his, we, we go and work. We don't go and work so that Jesus can eventually have all authority. We go and work because Jesus has all authority. And as I cited earlier, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Part of that happening is disciples growing in their sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. So I, I just, I want us to understand that the foundation of our discipleship is not because we just want more nice people on the planet. Um, it's, or, any, or anything, any superficial reason like that. The reason we want people to become better disciples of Jesus is because Jesus owns everything and he desires to be worshiped in every place, period. And one day he will be. So um, we have a really, really strong foundation for discipleship. It's not optional. It's not something some churches do. It's not, it, is meant, it is meant to be something that we all participate in, making disciples, not just making converts, which is important, but making disciples, teaching them to obey everything Jesus has said. Oh, why do we do that? Because the nations have raged, they have plotted in vain, and they have failed. Jesus has won. Jesus alone has won. Uh, not, to, not to get too far off track, but when people say, oh, um, leave, you know, Christians should stay out of politics. I, know, I understand what they mean, but let me tell you something. When I say Jesus is Lord, I am making a political statement. I am. I'm making a political statement. He, I will always defer to his authority over every president and king. Ten times out of ten. I am also called to submit to my rulers, I, absolutely. But I'm, what I am saying is, Jesus uh, causes kings to rise and fall. It, it's not, it's, I, ah, gotta be, let me think about this. Discernment, the discernment wheels are turning. Should I even share this? I personally reject the notion that there are two kingdoms existing side by side. There's one kingdom, and its king is Jesus. And um, he, thank you, and he desires to be worshipped in every place by every person. And so, uh, that, that is a big concept, but it, so, but it, comes, it, it boils down to and applies to our application for discipleship. Something as simple as James and I getting coffee every week to talk about our sin. That is an expression of Jesus being Lord over everything. You understand what I, it's not disconnected. These, this is all connected. Every time you repent of your sin and apologize to your roommate or your wife for being irresponsible with your words, that's part of the expression of the lordship of Jesus. And all. Okay? The, all, everything can...
Um, oh, okay, I still have power. I thought, I thought the microphone went out. That is, that is a big foundation. That's the found, and, and let me point this out too. Look at the text, okay? What the text does not say is go therefore and make a few disciples out of each nation. What does it say? Make disciples of the nations. If, if, if I could be so bold, Jesus does not want a few converts in Somalia. Jesus wants Somalia. Okay? And, and, one, and one day, he will be worshipped in all places everywhere. He does not want um, uh, one to two hundred people in Addis Ababa. He wants the city. He wants the nation. I, let me put it this way. I heard someone, when someone first said this, I thought, oh, that I mean, it challenged me. I love being challenged. You might be challenged in this moment. When Satan tempted Jesus with the nations, I'll give, I'll, give you the, I'll give you the allegiance of these nations. Jesus said no, not because he doesn't want the nations. He will have the nations. He just wasn't going to take them on Satan's terms. But we have, we're told time and again throughout scripture that the nations will bring tribute to our God, that disciples will be made in every corner of the earth. Jesus will have the nations, but he, he is winning them on his terms not on Satan's terms. So, what I'm trying to help us see is that we should, when we consider discipleship, and, and outreach as well, which we'll get to, if I could use the word, we should be very optimistic. Okay? We are not trying to make one or two converts before the world goes up in flames. Um, we are seeking to make Jesus famous in every place. Um, and the only reason that that's possible is because Jesus has told us he has all authority. He, he's, he's not, uh, do you know the term busy work? Has, has your boss has ever given you busy work where he, re he really has nothing important for you to do? So, oh, I don't know, go, go reorganize this shelf. It's not actually important. He's just giving you busy work. Sometimes I think we can think about the Great Commission as busy work. Like, oh, God gave us, you know, something that can't actually be achieved just to keep us busy until he returns. That's not true. That's not true. The last commandment that Jesus gave to his church, based on his total authority, was go win the nations. And I think he gave us that commandment because he actually wants it, and it's actually possible, and it's actually going to happen. And it happens... Not always in big, profound ways. It happens as you confess sin. It happens as you apply scripture to your life. It happens when you encourage other brothers. It happens in the details of discipleship. So I just, I want us to take discipleship very seriously. Um, here's a sad commentary. This is not me uh, um, promoting our, our own church, but this is just a sad reality. We, ha we have a good relationship with um, Montana Bible College, where my wife works and where I teach and I was talking with the leadership there and they said they said you know your church is the only church in the valley um, in the city of Bozeman that has a plan for discipleship uh, and other churches just don't they they and and I thought well that needs to change <laughs> discipleship I'm sure is happening at other churches in very in, uh, informal ways but um, I want to tell, like, we're so against programs. Oh, we can't have anything organized. I want to encourage you, 
Organize your discipleship. Have a plan for discipleship. Um, encourage people. Push people into it. Um, because discipling each other is part of Jesus' plan to be worshipped around the world. Um, let's talk about that. So that's, that's the big reason for why we, we do discipleship, because Jesus said so based on his total authority. Um, the goal of discipleship and, uh, is sanctification, which is what? Yeah, yeah, the gradual defeat of sin, um, the sanctification that leads to glorification, which is what? Yeah, being perfected. Don't expect it in this life, but we do pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and so we do strive for that, and we do make a goal of that. Um, let me read to you from Romans chapter 6, verses 20 through 23. We read this. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Okay, so there it is. Um, we're saved into a life of sanctification De gradually defeating sin in our lives by the power of God, then and with, with an end in sight. The goal is not to become perfect people in this life. We won't. We will not. But the goal is to demonstrate who Christ is as we steadily uh, conquer sin in our life with eternity in mind. In other words, discipleship is going somewhere. It has a trajectory, and it's eternal life. And we must do it. Um, Oh, look, why did I look it up? I had it printed right there. Silly me. But at least you all now know that I know where Romans is. Um, when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, have we really thought about that statement? Where does that start? It, it, it starts in each and every one of us. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven starts with my heart, my attitude towards sin, my joy. Uh, what I think about the gospel. Um, it starts there, and it spreads from there, but it starts through gen genuine repentance and faith, genuine conversion in each person, in each Christian. Um, um, Adam failed to represent his God, but Jesus has succeeded. He is the perfect image bearer. He is the perfect man, and now he lives in us by his spirit, and we are called to follow him. So discipleship, I'm, I'm sharing all this to emphasize that dis discipleship is not disconnected from the gospel. It is a direct result of the gospel. The perfect man has sent his spirit to us to be more like him. And that's our calling for the rest of the years that God gives us until we are with him. And we need help. I can't do it on my own. You can't do it on your own. We need help. It has everything to do with the gospel. Um, we already talked about the greatest commandment. So let, let me say this. The greatest way that you can love your neighbor, which again, greatest commandment is to love our God. And the second is like it, to love our neighbor as ourself. The greatest way you can love your neighbor is to take them, to take them by the hand, even when they fight it, and to walk them back to the cross over and over. Oh, yep, you're being an idiot again. Let's go. Look at what Christ has done. Look at who you are in Christ. Look at what Jesus intends for your life. No, 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 come back. 
<laughs> and when I'm going, when I'm wandering away, I need that brother to do the same for me, to grab me by the head and say, nope, look back at Jesus. That's, that's what we're meant to aspire to. That's what we're meant to work toward. That's why we do what we do. Um, because we sin, don't we? Even after our conversion, we sin. We forget who we are. We forget what we're called to. We forget what Jesus has done. We live in our old ways, and we need help to see the glories of Jesus. And we are stubborn creatures, aren't we? We don't like change. So all of this to say, you guys, you need people who love you, who want to see you do well, who want to see you be more like Jesus. You need to surround yourself with other saints who love you and will help you on that journey, and you need to be a help to them um, along the way. You need people who will direct you toward Jesus and what he has done. Uh, so just, so any, all that to say, discipleship is an absolutely essential part of our mission as a church. It absolutely is. Um, if people are doing whatever they want during the week, and they, if, if people are simply showing up to an event on Sunday, which again, we just spent a lot of time talking about the Sunday gathering. It is very important. It absolutely is. Um, what's going on with them during the week? Think about, think about this. Think about the Christian or even the minister who falls into adultery. That didn't happen in one day, did it? He didn't trip and fall and land in bed with somebody else. It started with a look. It developed into conversations that shouldn't have happened before church. It turned into texting. It, I mean, it, it, there, was a, there was a progression. You look at Proverbs 8. There's always a progression towards sin like that. And, and when I, so often, affairs um, and adultery, they develop over the course of years. And my question is, where were the other men and women along the way who cared for these people enough to say, what are you doing? Where, where were the people to whom they were accountable? Where were they? They weren't there. Um, they weren't there. If you've ever had a brother take you aside and say, hey, hey, this is probably, this is probably nothing, but I, I see this in your life. I see this going on. Is there something there? Would you please guard against that? Have any of you ever had, I've, I've had brothers say that to me before because they love me. And it's, and it, uh, ooh, and it's, uh, we want to be defensive immediately in the moment. And, but at, at the end of the day, I, I love my brothers for doing that. I love them for doing that because they care about me enough to snatch me away from sin. So the question, when, so whenever there's something, someone falls into a heinous sin, the question is not what happened the day before they fell. The question is, what happened five years ago? Where, where was the help along the way? And, and this, is, this is why we have discipleship, to keep each other between the, as we're driving, between the guardrails, to keep each other where we ought to be, that we might represent Jesus better, and that we might make much of the gospel better. What, what, what at, this, at the onset here, that's, that's basically my reasons for why we do discipleship. What questions might you guys have at this point or observations? Or let me just ask you, did you grow up in churches that had a culture of discipleship? And by that I mean a, mo a more formal, organized way of meeting with someone, maybe an older man or maybe a group of men to be open about our sin and our struggles and our victories and to talk about scripture and these sorts of things. Yeah. I, I want you all to think back. Think in your own lives. Think of, time, of times that other men, probably an older man, 
has actually come to you and taken an interest in you and said, how are you doing, brother? No, 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 re really, how are you doing? Think about that. I mean, do you get, uh, uh, those people, um, he'll be one of the most precious men in my life till the day that I die. His name is Rich Roberts. He worked for the Navigators. You aware of the Navigators? They're, they're a, a college. They started as a, a ministry on military bases. Now they're on college campuses as well. Rich chased after me, and he would not let me off the hook. How are you doing in the scriptures? How's your sin? Are, are, are you strong? with pornography. I mean, all these kinds of things. <laughs> and yet we're just not used to people pressing into our lives like that. But I needed it. I needed it. Because I'm not asking myself those questions. And I will be eternally grateful to him for that. Have you had men like that? And has that been meaningful to you? What do you think, Mike? And, and guys, just know this, as we go into more sessions on discipleship, I, I don't assume, you know, may, maybe a formal structure is not the best thing for your context. I don't know. It, it is in mine. In mine, people, <laughs> I need to grab people by the ear and say, come on, we're doing this now. Because we are so individualistic in my culture. Um, people do not want to open up. They do not want to talk about their sin. So we say, no, that's an expectation at this church. Let's do it. And uh, so we're a little bit more aggressive. That might, that might not, anyway, I, d must discipleship happen? Yes. Um, does it need to look the same everywhere? Not necessarily. I'm going to share with you how we do it, and hopefully that will help stir some, get the wheels turning in your mind. But it can look different. So like when you turn in your, when I, when I split you in half, <laughs> like Solomon split you in half. Um, sorry, little Solomon joke there. Uh, and whoever does the project on discipleship, it does not need to look exactly like we do at Emmaus Road Church. I just want you to know that. You have some freedom to think about the best way to do it in your setting. But, but yeah, those people are very meaningful to us. We're, in, we're intended to help each other along, to help each other along in discipleship. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk about that. I think it's important. Do you, do you guys see the importance of why, of why we must do this? Do you think it matters that Jesus told us as his... Uh, that we have to go disciple the nations. I'm not, I can't disciple an entire nation, but I can. I'm in a discipleship group with three other guys. That's a start. That's part of the nations. And so we're, none of us is called to go out and single-handedly uh, win the world for Christ. But we are called to be faithful in whatever sphere He places us, whatever realm of influence He places us. So, what do you think, James?
that asks those questions. Mm-hmm. They both can be. So like the way our, our discipleship groups work, it's not always older to younger. And it's not always, I'm the discipler, you're the disciplee. We have groups of three to five men or three to five women who get together. And it's a, it's a very, there's one person who keeps the conversation going. They're the discipleship group leader, just making sure that we actually do what we're supposed to do and it doesn't turn into social hour. But, um, but we have a structure that's more, we, we're all going to take our turn talking about our week and sharing and praying for one another. And so sometimes, like I'm in a group, let me think, I'm in a group with a, I think all, all three of the guys in my group are five years younger than me. We have some groups that have a, like there's one, like Craig is 45 years old, but he has a couple guys in, in their th- 30s and even one guy in his 20s in there. So we, and we'll, and we'll talk about that more, but we do, we do mix it up quite a bit. So it's so it's not necessarily one one way or another. I don't think. Yeah. I think conversion is a part of discipleship. I think it's the first part of discipleship. Um, even even not even seeing the conversion, but witnessing to somebody, you're trying to. Even at that point, you're trying to bring them closer to Jesus. So yeah, I, I do. I think. I think that outreach and evangelism, is part of discipleship. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's. Um, People need to change the way they are thinking about it because it is not it is not as simple as a class. It's not like, oh, I passed the class. I have it figured out. I'm good to go. If it is, look at it this way. Will there be any time in your life that you are fully like Christ? No. So uh, there will always be room for you to grow. So discipleship is an on and we need it all the time. It is an ongoing process. We will, we will never, in this life, we will never not need discipleship, or we will always need discipleship because we will always have room to grow more into the image of Jesus unless we claim we have no sin. And if anyone claims he has no sin, he is a liar and the truth is not in him, so don't do that. Um, but yeah, again, a lot of this is instruction. A lot of people, they've never thought about discipleship, or if they, or if they hear the word, they think about something totally totally different from what we're talking about so a lot of it just means taking the time from up front on a Sunday Um, you know I understand we preach expositionally primarily and we should Um, I think it can be helpful like hey church we're going to take three weeks to preach on discipleship what what it is and why we think it matters something like that is time well spent because people just don't know they just don't know they have no idea They, they have some idea of what discipleship might mean but they're not they might think, oh, that's, that's only for people who are really serious about their faith, you know, or whatever. Um, yeah. I would. I, I mean, I would. I would feel comfortable calling it that. We've had unbelievers come to our discipleship groups, and, and we've seen people converted in them. <laughs> because because they, they think they're Christians, they think they're fine. And then they start coming to a D group and they go, oh, oh, you're all talking about something totally different. And they hear the gospel maybe for the first time in that discipleship group. Um, we, we, we've had that happen. Yeah. Yeah. I see. Interesting. So everybody is so concerned about how they appear. They want everyone to think that they're doing okay. I'm doing fine. 
so they don't they don't want to confess sin. Yep, that's right. Give, that's a that's an excellent point. Give people the gospel first, and the, and from there you can say, "Hey, church, we love the gospel, don't we?" One overflow of that, one implication of that, is that we need help in the rest of our Christian lives as we seek to live lives worthy of the gospel, as Paul would say. So how can we help each other do this? You know. So yeah, absolutely excellent point. The gospel has to be in place first. Absolutely. And revisited often. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Brian. Good question. That, that's how we've chosen to do it. We feel like that is just a, an application of wisdom, yes. We, we've decided to do it men with men and women with women because it is, um, it is a place where people are sharing pretty, pretty significant details of their lives and of their sin. And to have, to have a man and a woman in that setting, can, I think... I think it could lead to bad situations um, more than um, if, if men and women were mixed. Let me just create an example. If there's, a, if there's a young 20-year-old woman in a group with three other guys in their late 20s and they're all talking about, uh, they're all talking about pornography, for example, <laughs> that, that's going to lead to a really difficult situation really quickly, I think. Um, so I think just as a, as a way to honor, as a way to honor women and to and to create the best environment we can, um, I, yes, I think I, I, we we've chosen to keep men with men and and women with women, yeah, and and with that, and I'll get into these details. We we um, we keep very close confidentiality as well. So like I, I in my discipleship group, I hear from these guys. I'm not going home and telling my wife, oh, you won't believe what Spencer has been doing this week. You know, I don't, you know, we, we really respect each other's privacy, you know. Um, again, unless somebody tells me, like, they're thinking about hurting themselves or someone else. At, and that, at that point, I would probably consider bringing in some extra help uh, for their own safety. But, uh, but other than that, no, we work very hard to keep, to keep information secure and that sort of thing. So... Yeah, we, we've found that men with men and women with women has been the best, has been the best setup for that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, you know, young men treat the older men like fathers and, and, and older women. Yeah, absolutely. Um, teach the younger women. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's a strong case to be made there. Absolutely. Good point. Yeah, what, what were you going to say, James? I was just going to say one thing that, that might just not for me would be helpful. They have also a marriage mentorship hmm. for like couples to couples. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a little couples young. Oh, that's great. That's and great. That, I think that gives me a mm -hmm. lot of spiritual encouragement. Yeah. That's excellent. That, that's excellent. So, just, so if a church can do something like that, and again, as you get to know your church better and what would serve them, that sounds awesome. Let me, let me tell you why that wouldn't work with us right now. We, we don't have a lot of older couples. <laughs> we're, for the, I, my wife and I are in our mid-30s, and for the longest time, we were like one of the oldest couples in the church because we just had so many young people. So now we're to the point where we have six families in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. And so we are growing. 
I'd love to get to the point, and we could probably do that now in some degree. We probably could, because we do spend a lot of time. And, but again, we already spend a ton of time with, all, with the young, newlywed couples, so it's kind of hap happening informally, but the day may come when we need to formalize it. That's an excellent, I've just, I'd never really thought, that's an excellent idea.